1: innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
2: What's going on? You are listening to Tag's podcast, aka Talk About Gay Sex. I'm your host, Steve Rodriguez, letting you know that we are going to be recording our holiday broadcast On Saturday, December 14th at 2 p.m. in New York City If you're going to be in New York City, stop by Barba Salon on 19th Street between 7th and 8th Avenue More information at TagsPodcast.com But we are going to be recording Lincoln, Jeremy Ross Lopez and myself We'll be recording our holiday broadcast on December 14th 2 p.m at Barba Hair Salon and it's going to be a fun kind of barbershop feel to it you can come in and say hi to us you can get a consultation on maybe a new cut you might want and just join us for some holiday cheer we will have treats from Lincoln's Protein Bakery there for you have a glass of wine or beer with us and just say hi. It is again Saturday, December 14th in New York City at 2 p.m. at Barba Hair Salon in New York City in the Chelsea neighborhood. Looking forward to that. Uh, This is episode 131 and in just a minute I'm going to share with you my conversation and interview with a guy by the name of Paul Sando. Paul has a brand new, is working on a brand new app that will help protect us in so many different ways. If you're on an app looking to meet up with another guy or whomever you're trying to meet up with, you would be able to find out their STI status, if they have or don't have a criminal record. But what is really important to Paul is that none of your personal vital information will be shared. In other words, so many lascivious, uh, so many different programs out there are, as we all know, are obtaining our personal information and using it and selling it, and there's a lot of fraud, as we all know, and it's his personal belief that he wants to help protect us. He's also going to be sharing his very unique coming out story after marrying a woman, adopting two kids at the very young age of 19. He also uh, survived anal cancer, and is going to talk a little bit about that, as well as some other obstacles, but how he is coming through it all. Before we get into my conversation with Paul Sando, I want to thank everyone that participated in our weekly poll that we did on our Patreon page. It, this week, we did two of them, and the question was, the first one was, do you like poppers? An overall majority of you love poppers their next in line was don't care for them at all the ones that did care seemed to love them during sex as you can imagine um but right behind it was during masturbation um a smaller percentile of people actually loved using them in popper training and if you remember we did an episode we had uh luca xxx as he goes by he was talking about popper training and there was a small percentage of you guys out there that really like it there was a brand that somebody wanted to thank you jay who recommends brown bottle he says that brown bottle poppers are excellent thank you julio who told us that mr leather here in new york city on christopher street they make their own poppers the other question that we asked was what's your favorite lube and an overall majority of people put silicon uh, right behind it, obviously, was water-based. Uh, a smaller percentile of people liked coconut oil, and that was one of the choices on there. Uh, equal was Crisco, for you fisters out there, perhaps. And thank you, Justin, who told us that his uh, he recommends Spunk Lube. Spunk Lube. It's a water-based silicon hybrid, he says. He says a little goes a long way, doesn't dry out, and best of all, will not ruin the sheets and we know justin what that can be like so thank you for recommending the spunk lube hybrid let's get into my interview conversation with paul Sando. well i'm very excited today my guest uh, reached out to me on tags podcast and i was struck by his story and a program that he's working on that will be a new app that will hopefully help out our identity when we go on apps like Grinder and so on and so forth. Um, please, um, his name is Paul Sando. Paul, how you doing? I am very good. i actually
3: just relocated from Vegas to Northern California and uh, trying to get used
2: to the dramatic change from from Nevada to California. It's nuts. Well, if you need any help on that, I'm from the Bay Area myself, and offline, I can give you some pointers or tips. Um, But thank you for reaching out to me. I definitely was intrigued um, about the work that you're doing uh, in the technical world, developing an app that will help with our identity and hopefully ultimately keeping us safe um, but before we get into that, um you also shared with me a personal story of how you came, and I'm assuming how you ultimately came to be comfortable with being out gay and out and I understand that you you came uh, you were married quite early on in life um you met a girl at fifteen and married her at seventeen. Is that what i understand
3: so yeah um i <sighs> So I came out at 13 for the first time, and I've, I've tried to kind of own my identity several times in my life, and it's kind of always backfired up until recently. Um, but I came out when I was like 13, 14 years old in high school, and this was 20-odd years ago, so it was a very different culture, a very different environment than it is today. And it didn't go well for me. Um, I was a chicken shit about it. I didn't you know, tell my close friends and explain to them what it meant. I just told the loudest mouth boy in school, and I let him run with it. And it turned out terrible for me. Um, I ended up, you know, getting beat up. My own brother um, was like upset with me because I was a disgrace to all his, to him for all his friends and all that. So I got very lonely, very depressed. Um, My dad was a workaholic. My mother was already out of the picture. So the one person who still associated with me was like the biggest black sheep in the school. Right. So she invites me to a party um, right after my 15th birthday And the woman who takes interest in me there is her mother. So this is a woman who's 20 years my senior. Okay. She's 35 and I'm 15. Got it. And when you're 15 years old and you've been isolated by your sexuality, you're isolated from your family, you really don't have anyone to turn to, you kind of will take attention from whoever will give it to you. And... Um, even my own father at that point had decided that my sexuality was something to ignore. He didn't accept it or be angry about it. He was indifferent about it and didn't talk about it at all. And it was just a terrible experience. So, so yeah, I, uh, started sleeping with this woman 20 years older than me when I was 15. Um, I remember, um, talking to child protective services twice because her family knew what was going on. And they actually called child protective services on her twice. And I remember standing on her front porch and saying, Hey, obviously I'm not sleeping with her. I'm gay. so I'm literally defending. Cause obviously at 15 and 35, that's a
2: crime, you know? Exactly. And if I could just stop you there. So if your parents and nobody in your family were accepting of your sexuality, do they find out that you are sleeping with this woman, albeit 20, uh, 20 years older than you? And if they did know, how did that make them feel? Um,
3: It's interesting. My brother, I don't even remember what his response was. My dad's response initially was to try and pull me away from it. And, but he just... I don't know if he felt the distance. Like I don't know what was going on in his head. Him and I haven't Like – I've made several attempts to reconnect with him recently, but we still haven't really reconnected. Um, but they knew about it. I mean they knew what was going on. My dad was – because it ended up in me requesting um, emancipation legally so that I could get married because I couldn't – because my parents wouldn't consent to marriage. And my, even my mother wouldn't consent to marriage, but she'd consent to emancipation, which would then let me get married. So – It was a weird, weird, weird combination of circumstances that let it happen. Um, But yeah. um, So yeah, they both knew, um, you know. And and it's almost
2: one of those things you have to wonder if, you know, given the two, not accepting your sexuality as being gay, but then, you know, I don't know what's worse than they accept the fact that you're going to be with a woman that's 20 years older that is, you know statutory rape and ultimately agree to this emancipation is that what it's called yeah emancipation a, so yeah. yeah emancipation is the process of being legally separated from your parents
3: so that you can make your own decisions before you're 18 um and except for things like buying alcohol or cigarettes or whatever you're treated like an 18 year old for the purposes of you know of making decisions signing your own medical form stuff like that and signing your own marriage certificate or marriage um, license so yeah, so did all that at um, had all that was married at seventeen.
2: Um, yeah, did you love this woman? And I understand you were gay, but obviously, obviously, you're young, and a lot of us are confused often, or, or maybe bisexual. Did you like this woman? Were you how? Talk to us a little bit about how you felt about her romantically and so forth.
3: Not even a little. Um, when okay. I when I when I think back, I mean. I was 15 years old. I had deluded myself into thinking that's what it was. But really, it was this desperate drive for acceptance. And I realized that I wasn't going to be accepted for who I was. So I'm going to just do whatever I can to be accepted by whoever except me. And if that means that I have to live in a completely different way from the way that I actually am, I was willing to make that sacrifice because I was so lonely and so desperate for attention and so desperate to just have someone give a shit.
2: So, so she essentially preys on you in one way, shape, or form. You get married, as the story goes, and ultimately, I understand you both adopt two children. Yeah. So, how how did it lead to that? And at the time of, and I know you got you married her at seventeen, but by nineteen, you're adopting two kids with this woman. Yeah. So the daughter that I
3: mentioned who originally invited me to the party where I met this woman for the first time, she got pregnant by some random guy that she was sleeping with and she's only two years younger than me at the time. So I'm 19, she's 17 and she gets pregnant back to back. Like these kids are 11 months apart um, by two different guys and her mother, who's my wife at the time, wants to... Obviously, she can't raise them, doesn't feel capable of raising them, but she doesn't lose contact with them, so she, her mother wants to adopt them. And I don't even... Steve, I couldn't even tell you the story of how that ended up happening. All I can remember is it culminated... I was there for the birth of the 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 boy who was um, 19 years old now. Let
2: me, just, let me just stop you there so I understand it. You're saying you went to a party with a friend of yours or this girl, mm-hmm. and... She got pregnant by two different men. Right. But it was her mother that ultimately is the one that's 20 years older than you that you married and ultimately adopted your friends, her daughter's children.
3: Yes. I know. Okay. It's like, it's like the no, worst no, self in history. <laughs>
2: trying to keep track of it.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a, believe me, even in my own head, I struggle to keep track of it. No, no, I just wanted to I, yeah,
2: get it straight. So we understand.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Probably the only thing that will get straight on this entire podcast. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I end up standing up in front of a judge at 19 years old and lying to the judge and saying that I'm ready to raise two kids and the judge signs off on the paperwork and, I end up, and my name is still on their birth certificates to this day. It's never been undone. It's never been, you know. And and
2: what's crazy? Do is you think it, that that's Do you think that that's uh, a Vegas, the city of Nevada? Because it seems no. This all happened right. in, in at, this all happened oh, Pennsylvania. in Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah,
3: got it. I didn't move to to Vegas till I was thirty. So this all happened in Pennsylvania. You know, and um, you know, it's funny as I think back of all the things I've gone through and all the the, the challenges that I faced during that time what I did to those kids was probably my biggest regret. And the reason why is for the first three or four years of their lives, I was around constantly. I was their dad. I was taking care of them and everything. And when I separated from my – when I finally got the courage to separate from my ex-wife and say we're done, I abandoned them at the same time. And to this day, that's probably the biggest regret I have because they did not deserve – Despite what happened between me and their mother, they didn't deserve that. They didn't deserve to be abandoned. I mean, I continued to, to take care of them financially. I paid child support until they were both turned 18 or moved out of her house. So I took care of them financially. I was not a deadbeat dad by any means, but I stayed out of their lives. And at the time, I was kind of convincing myself that it was because I didn't want the hatred and the negative emotions I had for their mother to impact their relationship, which is true, but it's not really the reason. The real reason was... I, I guess I was ashamed of the mistakes that I made and how far I had let things go. And I just, I don't know, I guess I didn't know if I could face them
2: in a lot of ways. Right, right. Okay. So you, well, and the other thing is, you know, you, you did take the commitment to adopt the kids, however, however convoluted it was, but um, it sounds like you ultimately took care of them Financially at least, and yeah. you know yeah um okay, so just moving on from that, you leave there, I understand you moved to Vegas, and um, is that when you essentially came out um so that's the
3: well now we're so. I came out once when I was 13, came out um, after I got divorced in Pennsylvania, but I was so isolated that I was just at home and I was basically living online for seven years or after my divorce. So, But yeah, then I come out to Nevada at around age 30 for a job. And in Vegas, it's a much more open community. You know, 15 years have passed. It's a much more vibrant place. It's much more open. And I come out again when I get to Vegas and I'm still – Trapped in that loneliness. I'm still alone. I've still been isolated from everybody. The only people I know are my coworkers at this new job that I got. And I screw it up again. And I end up sleeping with a subordinate. And I get fired for it within a year of getting to Vegas.
2: So what we understand then is you get a prominent position. I guess you're you're very uh you know a lot about the tech world, right? And yeah. Got a got a, dec- a great job where you had employees working under you, mm-hmm. and one of them, <laughs> I guess naturally you um, – how much younger – or I guess was he around your age? Just yeah, yeah. This he, he,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. I know there wasn't a big age difference here. I think he was three or four years younger than me, but – you know, it was, was one it of those... the fact
2: that because people have office romances all the time. Was it just a policy issue that the company yeah, didn't yeah. allow? And... Oh, oh,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no, there was no lawsuit. There was no sexual harassment. There was no. I didn't favor him at work or anything like that. I made a very, very clear point to treat him just the same way I treated every other employee at the office. It was simply their policy that a subordinate and a and a, a manager can never be in any kind of relationship, which is really a dumb policy. It really is because people are mature enough to. Handle that sort of thing.
2: They really are. But that's right. a topic for another podcast.
1: <laughs> it is,
2: it is. And I guess my only other question was, how did they find out? Um well, that's an interesting story. Um so his wife, who Oh, can, okay. Who,
3: who was oh no no, I before, before, so before you judge <laughs> it? No, no, no judgment. I just <laughs> okay. I'm now
2: seeing where this is going. That's all. Yeah. That's all. But, no but judgment. His,
3: but but his wife, who actually consented to them, who was aware of it. Was totally in agreement with it, and actually also worked at the same company at a different time than he did. Decided she wasn't happy with it anymore, and so she decided to report me to HR, which then resulted in me being terminated and so on and so forth.
2: Got it. So when you're sleeping with something, make sure the wife isn't also an employee at the company. Is the takeaway correct? <laughs> well,
3: well, I hired <laughs> both
2: of them. So so, and okay. this
3: this this may be the one instance of bias that was in fact well. They were both qualified for the jobs that they were hired for, but they ended up, neither one of them ended up working out. And after I had a break with her on a friendship level, that's when everything turns out. So it's just, yeah, it's just be very cautious really of the way you interweave relationships. And now I don't do that anymore. So,
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, great. And, you know, I mean, this next question with all due respect and everything, but, and we, everybody can benefit from, um, did you find yourself, after uh, wanting to seek some sort of therapy, just to kind of make sense of your individual story, to help, or just was it just moving on from the craziness uh, that oh. you just kind of found your way on your own? No, I really wish that I would have thought sought therapy. That would have been really smart of me, Steve. Thanks for that advice. Unfortunately, it's a few years no, late. no, I just know <laughs> no, no, everybody no. can benefit from therapy in terms, you know, wherever you're at in life. I've oh, yeah. had my own, and just curious if what was it that you kind of pushed everything aside and said okay let me start fresh anew and move forward
3: well that was and, and it's funny that you say that because shortly after that whole incident happened i met husband i met spouse number 2 my ex-husband um and uh you know got uh, married the second time and that was a disaster because i was trying to play hero and it, it just became this big codependent mess and i didn't really find myself until So we were married for six years, and um, about four and a half years in, I got cancer. And that was really the transition. You meet a man that ultimately became your husband, correct? Yeah. So I actually didn't meet him in Vegas. I met him online. Um, And (laughs) I actually moved him from Oklahoma, where he was from, to Vegas to join me because at this stage of the game, I'm so – I've had so many social issues. I'm kind of reverting back to my natural state, which is I'm just going to communicate online. I'm not going to go out and meet people. I'm not going to go to bars. I'm not going to go to public events. I'm not going to go out. I'm just going to meet people online. And that's how I ended up meeting him.
2: Got it. Got it. And I'm assuming it was love and obviously so much so that you both decide to get married. Mm. Um Uh, how i okay explain tell me (laughs) so
3: it's funny you know i and part of my whole thing with with the the, my where i'm at my life now finally owning my identity and owning who i am is i realized until i did that which is very recent like in the last probably eight weeks I, I didn't know what love really was and it was incredibly codependent. He was in an abusive relationship. I was lonely. He wanted to escape Oklahoma where he had been stuck for his entire life. I was lonely in Vegas by myself and it was just this collision of terrible, terrible ideas that turned into this six-year relationship. We were together for like a year and a couple of months, got married. We were together for, for – or no, we were together for three almost three years before we got married and then three years we were after we were married. Um so um so yeah, it's it's just it turns into this catastrophic mess of
2: codependency um that didn't get broken until I got sick. And when you say you got sick, I read in your story and maybe we can talk offline of, of posting some of the details of it in our blog, on our website. But you essentially, as you wrote to me, you got an STI, which was really HPV. And I wanted to really talk about this because we have a doctor on our show who's given myself and a co-host the HPV vaccination. And I know you say in what you wrote to me, and we know this just from the show and through our Dr. Goldstein, that everybody at some point, if you've had any sort of sexual contact, probably has one form or another of the HPV HPV in our system. And for the most part, it can remain dormant. Um, I'm certainly, you know, in my forties. And so it's probably there. There is no real test for it, but At least when we've had Dr. Goldstein on the show, he still recommends, and which could relate to your story, getting the vaccination no matter what age. Obviously, if younger children, uh, it's totally recommended to get the HPV vaccination. Um, Your story and how you got sick was related to an HPV strain that caused, is it right to say it was caused cervical cancer for you? No, it's anal cancer. Is the Anal cancer, the cancer. Yeah. got it. Yeah, sorry, not cervical cancer. It causes, <laughs> say, it's in st- cervical say, cancer. Steve, do we need yeah, to go back
3: you, to basic anatomy right now? Yeah,
2: right. I was <laughs> going to say, you're not transgender. <laughs> um, um, excuse me. Yes, you got um, anal cancer with it. Mm-hmm. And you can... Tell me when you got that diagnosis, and you don't have to detail. We can maybe post um, ultimately what that meant, but tell me a little bit about when you found out and what were the signs that you knew you had it. It was a terrible case of hemorrhoids that would never go away.
3: That's basically what it was. and it. It started with... You know, self-care, you know, basic stuff you get from CBS Pharmacy or whatever, and then going to urgent care when it wouldn't go away, and they said that it was something else, and then going to my family doctor, and he said it was something else, and going through a gastroenterologist who didn't even know what it was, um, and thought it was something else, and prescribed another medication, so it, it took all the way from this symptom, and it was like a 9 or 12 month thing, because I was working very hard at the time for a company and I was making the decision actively making the decision to work rather than take care of my health, which is a terrible decision. I don't think anybody should ever make, but I basically ended up at a, a, colorectal surgeon's office. And on the first visit, when she first looked at it without even doing a biopsy, she said, I think this is a mess. And in that moment, I kind of discredited I'm like, no, all these other doctors say it's just, you know, um, it's either hemorrhoids or there's a, there's a, a, um, uh, what do they call the ball of infection? I don't remember what the word is, but um, but you know it's an infection or something. It's no big deal. But you know, first look, she said it was a mass, and she scheduled me for the biopsy and everything.
0: You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast.
3: And, um, lying on the table as I'm coming out of anesthesia from the biopsy, she didn't even have to wait for the biopsy to come back. She just said, it's cancer. I know it. I already know it's cancer and I don't even need to wait for the biopsy to come back. And I just broke. I just broke. And just broke down in tears. I'm freaking. Obviously,
2: she did the test later to confirm that. Correct. Oh yeah, yeah. No, she still sent the biopsy back. She's
3: she still did. But but I mean, this is a woman who's been treating these types of conditions, you know, in of the you know the colon, the rectum, and and that part of the body. She's been treating them for 20 years. She's the
2: best colorectal surgeon in the state of Nevada. So she definitely knew what she was talking about. So you get this diagnosis, and one of the things that struck me when you wrote to me um, is you said that you uh, accrued it to your twenties and you said, um, after your first divorce and I'm just quoting you, you were a complete (laughs) slut in my twenties after my (laughs) divorce or you write, because I've always been kind of a slut. And I, I just, it struck me because I think people in their twenties, certainly anytime, um, is, was it that you were a slut or that you just were enjoying sex? Like so many of us do. And do you, do you maybe attribute it more to just uh, maybe not taking precautions or having that HP vaccination? Oh oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't
3: that, that I don't use that word as a shameful word. I use that word as a word of pride. I, that term for me, I'm trying – it's it's like so many of the words that people use to refer to us, you know, and faggot and all those words. It's just me trying to repossess that word. Yes, I am extremely sexually active. I enjoy sex. I enjoy it with a lot of people. And that is nobody's business but mine. And it is not a shame game at all. But, yes, you're, you're exactly right. It's not really that I was super sexually active. It's that I wasn't taking the precautions. I wasn't taking care of, with my sexual health, and I wasn't worried about it. And at some point during that time – I imagine I was exposed to it. Um, By the time we caught it, the cancer was stage two, which means the cells had been active in my body for at least two years, probably.
2: Got it. And at the time, obviously, you're going through chemotherapy, and you get it under control in, in one way, shape, or form, but it's you kind of allude to when you write to me that you didn't really get a lot of support that you felt from your husband. In other words, he thought when you were bedridden in the, in the thrones of this illness that he wasn't really there for you. Can you just share a little bit about, and you also write, um, which I think precludes why you might be working on this app is you write, this is what happens when you don't own your identity and you're willing to take on any connection you can get instead of the ones that you're meant to have and that also struck with me because I know the work that you are working on that we'll get to in a little bit about an app that really is the physical identity or the identity like our records and yep. and and everything related to you know our social security number but you're also really comparing this to just not knowing yourself from an emotional standpoint as oh, yeah. well and that's how that's how you're also talking about it and in this case it happened to be your second the the second person you married which was your husband talk to me a little bit about the lack of support that he didn't provide and you know talk a little about that well You know that's the interesting thing about a codependent relationship. When
3: you get into a codependent relationship, that codependence only goes so far. And as long as you're mutually pulling on each other kind of equally, then it's fine. But once one person needs to pull too hard in one direction, then it breaks. And that's basically what happened. Um, You know, I had been providing you know financial support, taking care. You know, he hadn't worked in years, and I was taking care of the house. I was kind of doing everything. And when I could no longer provide all those things for him, then it broke. And at the crescendo of all of it, um, during treatment, like when I started, when I got diagnosed, I actually asked for a divorce, Steve, the week before I got diagnosed. And then, when I got diagnosed, I saw my therapist. We were talking about therapy. I saw my therapist the week after, and she says no don 't divorce him he 's used you for years. You need to use him for right now to get through the cancer you don 't need to divorce in cancer at the same time. Just deal with it. get through it, and then divorce him when you 're done oh wow um, that 's my therapist. This is a licensed therapist in the state of Nevada that said this okay so I just it 's not like some kook off the street no 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 yeah,
2: um, and unfortunately, but, obviously he was there, but you you wrote to me a little bit that at times he wasn't obviously as supportive as you would have liked. Oh yeah. No, I in, in mean time of need. I mean,
3: if you think about the people that are the most special to you and the people that matter to you most, imagine that person having just had their basically their entire gut reorganized surgically and lying in bed and they're a, a week away after the surgery and they're bleeding and they have open wounds and they're lying in bed and they have a nurse coming three times a day to check their, check on them. And Imagine how you would take care of that person and what you would do to make sure that person was as comfortable as possible. And none of those things happened. I mean, at the, crescendo, at the, at the worst case of it, I remember a specific incident where I was struggling to get out of bed to go get food um, to eat, basic sustenance to eat. And I asked him to help me, and he said his, his, his near exact words were, you know, I think you're using your disease as, as an excuse to get me to do things for you that you could be doing for yourself.
2: Wow. Yeah. I could see why you'd want to divorce him yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, also the codependency and, and so on and so forth. I get it. Um, so at what point, what would you, so we can move on to, cause I want to get to the, what you've learned and the technology that you're developing currently, but what can you share with our audience that in hindsight, I mean, I'm assuming you're, you're in good health now and, and, and obviously, after the surgery, you, things have changed for you. Oh, yeah, big time. But, um, are you, in general,
3: are you healthy? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm working on it. You know, I've started, healthy is, is not just not having cancer. It's being in better physical health. I'm overweight, you know, but I've started to engage a physical coach. I've moved to California to get new scenery, to be able to get out more, to start exploring the world and, and taking better care of myself, drinking more water rather than so. So it's Always a process. There's always habits to break, no matter how severe. I still smoke. Even though I've had cancer, I still smoke cigarettes, which is a terrible thing to say, but it is the case. But yes, I'm working gradually on the process of getting healthier and building those habits. But I've never felt better in my entire life than I feel right now.
2: And then knowing what you know now and maybe what doctors have shared with you, and knowing what our the doctor that guests on our show, Dr. Goldstein, Do you recommend for people, even no matter what age you are, to get the HPV vaccination just as another precautionary, you know, thing that we can do to keep ourselves safe, as well as continuously having ourselves checked out on a regular basis, including our anus region. Right. I do – now,
3: my understanding is definitely – I'm not a medical professional by any means. But my understanding is the HPV vaccine loses most of its benefit after the age of about 16 or 18 years old. If you have a medical professional who's telling you that it's still useful after that, by all means, absolutely do that. But yes, especially anything that seems like a basic symptom, especially related to hemorrhoids or any pain in that area or anything like that – do not pass go go straight to gastroenterologist at the bare minimum do not screw around if it lasts for more than a couple of weeks do not screw around with your family doctor go straight to a gastroenterologist or a colorectal surgeon cuz they're the right people to be able to diagnose issues in that area
2: and you're definitely correct on obviously if you can get it before a certain age but you know at a certain point most of us are older than that people listening mm-hmm. to the show are older than that the age that's recommended. I think what when we've had Dr. Goldstein on the show is that being gay and having anal sex, oftentimes the the meeting of HIV, say, for example, Mm -hmm. and HPV can ignite certain types of issues that can come about. And you can reduce some of potential hazards in the future by just getting this vaccination that's a series of three shots. Yeah, and there's
3: no there's no harm in it. The, there's and there's no, no
2: and, you, and there's no harm in it. And
3: yeah, there's the no harm in it. There's too. no there's no meaningful side effects. There's nothing other than injection site issues that last for a day or two that are common with every vaccination or every other injection you get,
2: there's no harm in getting it. So it's certainly not and gonna then, hurt you. And then getting Uh, yearly exams if you can, or if your general practitioner isn't doing that, see somebody like a proctologist that can, you know, just check that region out um, yearly just to make sure you're still doing good. Um, Okay, good. So I'm glad you're doing well now. And that has sort of, and you ultimately you divorced, correct? And I, yes. do you have any? Do you talk to your ex at all anymore? Or well, is it?
3: It, it's funny. I had a moment of weakness about a month and a half after we divorced, and I sent him a text, and we ended up texting dirty one night, and you know, having a great time. And then he texted me the next morning, and he tried to guilt me, and he's like, "Thanks for making me feel like a piece of meat." And I went off on him for the last time, and I said, "Listen, you son of a bitch," I said. I gave you six years to prove you were something other than a, just a nice piece of ass, and you failed. So the fact that you feel like that is your fault, not mine, and I don't ever want to hear from you again. And I haven't heard from him since. Wow. Good so. for you.
2: Good for you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <good. laughs> well, let's move on because you are working currently on um, you're using your tech background and working on an app that would ultimately keep us safe when we're online, when we're on the apps. And I guess... Essentially, you wanted to, uh, you write, you told me here that, I'm just finding the part here, that would essentially tell people if somebody has a criminal record, and it would also tell people their STI status and things of that nature. And I, I understand that your whole goal is for us to reclaim our all the information that's out there but put it into our own hands and you'll be sort of a marketplace to keep it safe for us can you just talk to me a little bit about the program that you're working on the app yeah so
3: you know now that i've kind of and you know we were talking about the transition i've made now that i've kind of owned my identity and i'm i I feel who i am as a person. I, I own all the identity that I can, but there's all this information out there driver's license, social security records, credit reports, criminal background reports, all this stuff that's still part of our identity, you know, and it's still pieces of who we are. And everybody else is making use of it. You know, Facebook makes use of your information for marketing, Google makes use of it to improve their products. All these people are making, and that's really what this, the IU platform, that's what it's called as IU, comes down to is why don't we take which, all this Which stands for. As yet unnamed, because like all gay men, I struggle with commitment and I couldn't figure out what to call the damn thing. Um, Got it. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, I like it. I like it. I like okay. it. <laughs> um, But, um, but um, it, it comes down to everybody else is using your identity information to benefit them. Why don't we figure out a way for it to benefit you? And we're using – there's this open source technology called self-sovereign identity. And it uses blockchain, which is the same thing that Bitcoin is built based off of, to encrypt and publicly and, and certify information from your identity. Um And you can break it down into pieces and just share it. So, for example, let's talk about an STD report. So you go, we're going to build a marketplace where you can, we're going to make the labs compete for your business. We're also going to build in a system where charities, sexual health charities can enter people's information for free. We're not going to charge them for that. And then you basically build your own online identity that's in a private encrypted data store that you control. IU doesn't store it. We don't have access to it. All we do is we build you a little mobile app Um, That lets you share that information selectively with the person, with someone that you're standing with. You can even do it in person. It's not just online. So you meet a nice guy in a bar. You want to go home with him, but you want to make sure he's clean, and you want to make sure he's not going to kill you. You can use the NFC tap feature on your phone and tap your phones together, and you can both confirm, no criminal record, STD-free. Right there in a moment without giving out any of the other information. Now, how do people do that now? They give out the whole form. Like if you're going to really check somebody, you're going to get the whole medical form. But there's so much data on there. Your name, your medical record numbers, your address, your phone number, your social security number might be on. There's all kinds of stuff. We want to break it down into just the piece that they care about, which is no STDs, and just share that piece of information.
2: And criminal records as well, because you do, Ray, uh, in the in the piece that you sent me um, – The idea of criminal records verification, that's where this all started. Every Mm -hmm. year online, predators are responsible for 160,000 abductions, at least 100 murders. And the stats on rape are so unclear that we don't even know how many there are, but in the thousands. um, You would imagine that rape is even higher than abductions, but it's underreported because of the shame attached to that crime, especially for men regardless physical safety is a huge risk um oh, yeah. you also were telling me when you wrote to me that so many people are coming at us to try and buy into different marketplaces and now when we go on the d- different apps you often may wonder if you can just meet a guy because so many people are trying to get you to s- go their way to give you their information and i know it would What IU sounds like, it sounds like such a good thing. But there's been a recent story that I was reading about. um, It was reported in Ireland on Grindr where several Irishmen reported someone initiating a new chat. So imagine if you were on the dating app, Grindr, Mm -hmm. asking for, and in this case it was called LGID, and it was a scam artist essentially That would show a picture of a battered face explaining that he got attacked and wanted to protect himself. Mm -hmm. He then explains that an LGID is a special kind of registry for LGBTQ people to find out if someone has a history of physical assault and sends a link to his victim. So essentially, you if you were the person on there, you would get hit up on there, keep yourself safe, it would be directed to a website where you were then instructed to pay, in this case, 50 euro via your credit card, and the website uh, attempts to kind of sway your fears... Um, by noting that all the payments will be donated to, I think it's like an LGBT harassment victims fund. But the whole thing is a a sham and it's, but it's similar to what you're talking about because it's trying to reach out to people to say, Hey, we know what's going on. We know that there's all these assaults and people taking advantage of you go on here and you can put your information. It's, so how is yours going to be different so that we well, don't get confused? Well, you
3: see, that's with, the thing, with being and,
2: scammed. right. And that's so. the thing. That's the, this problem is too
3: big for one app to solve. Like I, I started, when I first started this idea, it was I'm going to build a dating app that has these features. And then I was like, that's a stupid ass idea because there are so many dating apps out there already. There's, you know, just grinder growler, chaseable. Like there's all these apps out there jacked. There's so many of them out there. They all need these features. They all need these features. So rather than us build our own dating platform, which is just another one that will clog up everybody's phone, we're going to build an API or a programming interface that allows every dating app that wants to participate to – basically, you'll be able to link your dating profile to your IU profile. And on your profile on Grindr, it will just say ID verified, no criminal record. And no STDs. And it'll be stamped. Because, like, for example, Grindr already has a question about your HIV status, but it's self-reported, so it's easy to lie. So we're going to just let the dating apps, any dating app that wants to integrate with us, they'll all be able to integrate. And you can tie in your profile, and the stamps from IU will be right there. No extra app, no extra money, no extra nothing. It literally just ties in right to the dating profile for any app that wants to participate, we'll, we'll, we'll build a, uh, an
2: integration for them. So we haven't gotten that service that got it. So in other words, I, you won't actually have any of this information. You'll be putting us in touch with our own records, essentially, uh so that but you won't have them on your end all right right,
3: right. so basically what you you would be doing is you log into iu and say you want to link your grinder profile to iu so you will be so it's just like the permissions prompt on your phone so you log into the website or you log into the app you link in your grinder profile and it says and and you'll get a little prompt that says do you want to allow grinder to display your std status yes or no and then you hit yes and all they get is the std free and that's it they just get that one. They don't get all the details because they don't need that. They just need to know that that you're STD free or you have no criminal background, and they'll just be able to display a stamp that shows that one piece of information in your profile without anything else.
2: Got it. And you're you're basing it on the SSI, the self sovereign identity. Yep. That that is a, a an actual uh, service that can culminate all this information um does it will we have to because what's the time frame that it's going to keep track because you know certain things like when you're on prep you have to get checked every three months for HIV Mm -hmm. and hopefully people are getting their STI checked as well because it's so important what's going to be the the time frame that we can hopefully that you'll hope to kind of promise people within a period of time or?
3: Right. So whenever someone purchases their data through the IU system, they're going to, that data will have attached to it, like they buy their STI test, for example. That data will have attached to it an expiration date, which is the commonly accepted expiration date based off professionals in that field. So for example, we're talking about three months. That's the CDC recommendation is every three months, if you're sexually active, get an STI test every three months. So when you buy that test data and the lab sends it into your private data store, we're we're going to attach a three-month expiration date to that data when that three-month expiration date expires that data will automatically be expunged and deleted from your record so you'll no longer be able to use it to verify and you'll have to go get another one because that's the recommended status for background checks it's recommended once a year we still haven't figured it out because we're doing something very new with background checks so we haven't quite figured out what the time frame is going to be on those but generally speaking like if you go if you get a background check for work it's once a year It's when it's recommended it's when like the gaming board in Nevada and stuff like that recommend you do it as once a year. So so but we're going to be following the the guidelines from the biggest best experts in the world to figure out what those expiration dates should be to make sure people don't use expired data to falsely verify. At
2: least keep it within the 3 month mark yep. that recommendations for getting STI checked at least for prep are are currently being um, advocated, correct? Yep.
3: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: It's and, and people should obviously even if when this does come about should still be getting checked regularly because there's always that period. But I would imagine that it, at least the criminal record side of it. I mean, if somebody comes up with a clean record, at least you're pretty certain that you know they probably didn't commit a crime in the last three months. Of course, they could have, but right. that's going to be a key element. Particularly, you keep hearing stories around the world of people being lured to different parts of the, you know, to places and they're getting, you know, beat up and so on and so forth. Um, people Hello. should still be careful.
3: I, I had a cool. story. I had it happen to me. I've built in the middle of building this app, Steve. And I just had it happen to me last weekend. I literally just, I had a guy on grinder con me, come into my house and con me out of a hundred bucks. Uh, um, and, and it was just, it was just this, this, it's this ridiculous. It's the, the goal is to be able to build a little bit more trust person to person. Is a background check flawless? No. Is an STI test flawless? No.
2: That's not flawless so one either. More but it's a option that we yes. can take to keep ourselves safe. And obviously people should be doing their own vetting you know, I always say, well, I tend to, I don't do really well on the apps and I tend to go out more. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I feel for people that like to be on the apps more. Um, But even that being said, I've certainly brought people home, gone to other people's houses, and it's still not a hundred percent guarantee that this person isn't a psychotic. Right. But I do work with body language and the conversation that I am having when I am out and about. But I think Something I like where you're going with this, I think, um, you know, it's one more app and tool that we can use to keep our community safe. So I Mm -hmm. commend you for that and the work that you're doing it for it. Um, you are, is there a GoFundMe page that you're working with that we can list that now or? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So
3: the, the GoFundMe, um, is, um, it's just GoFundMe.com, uh, slash f slash iu safe a-y-u-s-a-f-e um say that again so it's gofundme.com slash f as in frank slash
2: iu safe a-y-u-s-a-f-e and, cool. and we'll list the link on the on tags podcast.com with show notes for this episode, which is episode 131, whenever people are listening to it and people can link up to that.
3: Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we're uh, conveniently, you know, because the cause is so great, we've made a lot of progress, even though we don't haven't had a lot of funding yet. Um, we already have our software development partners who are working on putting the app together. We're um, partnering with um, public health organizations in Nevada, and I'm starting to try and find some links in California. Um, you know, because it's... It's such a huge problem, you know. When you look at the statistics, it's frightening. 1 million people a day worldwide get an STI.
2: Paul Sando, I want to thank you so much a for being sharing your story and being so honest and forthright with it. I think you're uh, everyone's going to get a lot out of this and please keep us up to breast with iu and and we will link up to the gofundme page so we can as you get further and further along with this i want to share it with um, our listeners i appreciate that steve and hey i'm
3: i'm in fairfield now so i'm not far from the bay area so who knows we might bump into each other sometime
2: there, there you go there you go when i go home and visit my family I'm, I'm i will look you up so thank you so much paul Sando. thank you very much steve